Luke chapter 11, 5 through 13. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? At the beginning of Luke chapter 11, Jesus is asked by His disciples to teach them how to pray. And in verses 2 through 4, He gives what we call the Lord's Prayer, giving them a guide for prayer. And now in verses 5 through 13, He gives them qualities of Christian prayer. In other words, Verses 2 and 4 tell us about the content of prayer, while verses 5 through 13 tell us about characteristics of Christian prayer. And so today, as we look at verses 5 through 13, I want us to see three characteristics of Christian prayer and the truth about God that undergirds them. Three qualities of prayer and how the character of God drives them. And here's the first one. We are to pray shamelessly because God is our Father. Uh, In verses 5 through 8, Jesus tells us a story. In the story, you have uh, have a man who's in bed at midnight. And at this time, in this culture, without electricity, midnight is really midnight. People are in bed. It's dark. And uh, we also learn that this man is living, as was typical at the time, in a, in a one-room household. That's why he later says that my family's, my children are in bed with me. Everyone is in this one room, in this one bed, and they're all asleep. Then there's this, this other guy who comes knocking on this man's door at midnight, and he's, he's not knocking because there is an emergency. He doesn't come saying, you know, help, my, my house is on fire, I need help. Instead, he comes knocking on the door at midnight saying, one of my friends has stopped by unexpectedly and I don't have anything to offer him. Can can you help me out? (laughs) Well, so he knocks on the door and think about it. There's there's no way for this man to help his neighbor, to give him what he's asking without getting out of bed, waking up his entire family and, and opening the door. He has, he has all kinds of reasons to say, get out of here. Why are you bothering me at midnight? But nevertheless, we're told that uh, despite those reasons, Jesus says 
that the man knocking gets what he asked for. Why? The answer is in verse 8, and this is the key verse. Not because he was his friend, but because of his impudence. So here's Jesus teaching us a lesson about prayer. And I think it's a shocking lesson because the word impudence here is, is a way of saying uh, shamelessness, uh, audacity, unabashed. Make, make your requests known. Bother God. The word bothers here in this passage. I think this is really a shocking request uh, and a shocking characteristic of prayer when you think about the fact of what other, what other religion in the world teaches its followers to pray to God in this way? I mean, can you imagine the, the, the Quran telling people to call out to Allah with this kind of shameless familiarity? So how, how can... Followers of Jesus Christ approach God in this kind of shameless, shameless, unabashed way. What, what makes that possible? And I think the answer is here in this chapter. And the answer is the doctrine of adoption. The reason we can play, uh, pray with shameless familiarity is because God is the father of those who trust in Jesus. See, the, the doctrine of adoption, it, it undergirds, it informs everything Jesus is teaching us about prayer. Jesus didn't begin the Lord's prayer by saying, pray to, pray to God, our, our great judge in heaven. He, he told us to pray to God, our father in heaven. He, he tells us to think about God in family terms. He is our heavenly father and, and therefore... We are to approach him as a child approaches their father. To trust him. To relentlessly rely upon him. To make our requests known without shame. That's what a child does. You think about it. Only, only a child can approach a father and make these kind of requests without it being impertinent, discourteous, rude even. Let me try to illustrate it this way. When I'm here on Wednesdays um, in the morning time, Pastor Dave comes a little bit early for the morning Bible studies, and he always stops by in my study there to catch up for a little bit uh, before he heads off to teach the morning Bible study. And when he comes to the door there, he always, he always knocks in a, in a polite way, that communicates that he is requesting to come in and talk with me. It's very different when I'm at home in my study and Karis knows I'm behind the door. She comes, Daddy, let me in. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to sit on your lap. She makes her request known without shame, unabashedly. And, and it's, it's okay because she's my child. She doesn't know how to distinguish between big petitions and small petitions. They're all big to her. So you see, what in relating to my neighbor or friend or fellow pastor is impertinent, you know, socially rude, discourteous, is not so for little children. Just imagine if Dave came to the door there on this coming Wednesday and just, you know, sort of pounded to announce his arrival and open the door without waiting 
for an invitation to come in. You'd consider that socially, socially rude. You know, he would never do that. But you see, Karis does that sort of thing all the time. And, and it's okay, because she's my child. And as her father, I actually welcome that little voice standing outside the door, calling out for my attention, making her needs known. And you see, that's how Jesus wants us to think about prayer, dear friends. We're, we're to approach God with utter shamelessness because he is our father who delights in the voice of his little children. I just think about how different this kind of praying is for a moment from how some other people think about prayer. For, for some people, prayer is basically a means of writing up a contract with God, isn't it? You know, God, I'll, I'm going to commit myself to you, and I'm going to do these, these, these sorts of things, and in response, you'll give me this stuff. You know, we have, do we have a deal? Some people think of prayer like that, as, as bargaining with God. Others think of prayer as a kind of Empty, impersonal ritual. Lots of words, lots of re uh, religious rhetoric that goes on and on and on. But Jesus' view of prayer, you see how different it is? You see how very different it is from contractual agreements and impersonal religious ritual. It's not a way to bargain with God. It's not an empty ritual. It's, it's a child speaking to their father. It's relational. Well, you see, when, when you become a Christian... You are adopted into God's family. You go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. And that change of status has radical implications for how you relate to God. You're given privileges and liberties that only the children of God know. And so I think understanding Christian prayer, let me put it to you this way. Understanding Christian prayer can actually help you understand whether you really get the gospel or not. Understanding Christian prayer says a lot about whether you really understand the Christian gospel. Do you relate to God in a contractual way or a ritualistic way, or do you relate to God as a child relates to a loving father? See, the gospel teaches us that when you, when you trust in Jesus, your, your status changes judicially, you go from being condemned to being accepted because in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are counted righteous in God's sight. And relationally, you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. So when we trust in Jesus, God accepts us and God adopts us. Judicially and relationally, our status changes by a sovereign declaration of God. And Jesus is the one, you see, who makes all of that possible because he came and lived a sinless life and because he died for our sinful life on the cross. You see, we can be accepted and adopted by God. And so as we're talking about prayer, we need to understand that Jesus revolutionizes how we relate to God. Let's say if you're, if you're here today and you've been approaching God in some kind of legalistic, bargaining, contractual way, I'll do this, you do this for me. Or if you've been approaching God in empty rituals, you need to understand, my friends, that God is not a God who can be coerced. He's not a God who can be manipulated, and he's not interested in your empty rituals. 
There is, there is a better way. You see, the, the way of contract and the way of ritual always fails because what we're really doing at the core of things is we're seeking to approach God on the basis of our own works. But the gospel never fails because we are approaching God on the basis of Christ's perfect work. And so we're able to pray to him. The, the gospel invites us to approach God through Christ and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, as we already said this morning. I deserve condemnation. By nature, I am one of your enemies, but have mercy upon me because I'm clinging to Christ. Accept me and name me one of your children. And so Jesus, as we look at this first part of the passage, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray shamelessly with impudence because God is our Father. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand Jesus. This doesn't mean that we forget God's majesty and God's holiness. He is our Father in heaven. He is exalted. He is high and lifted up. He he is the majestic one. But you see, it's his majesty that makes this kind of prayer so utterly remarkable. Go to the God of heaven and earth, the Holy One, and go to him as a child without shame and pour out your heart. Make your needs known. And he bends his ear to hear the voices of his children. So pray without shame because God is your father. And then secondly, in verses 9 through 10, Jesus teaches us to pray with persistence because our God is a prayer hearing and prayer answering God. Pray with persistence because God hears and answers prayer. Jesus likens prayer to knocking. And you never knock on someone's door just once, do you? You you don't go to someone's door and... and What would happen if you did that? People inside, honey, what was that noise? I don't know, I guess something fell outside. No, no, you, you knock to let your presence known. And actually, the very form of these words indicates a continuous action. Jesus isn't simply saying, ask once, seek once, knock once. Jesus is actually saying to keep asking, keep seeking, keep asking, keep pleading with God, keep praying, persist in prayer. And Jesus teaches this lesson again later in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 18, just in case you think this is, you know, some, uh, some kind of fluke in the Bible. Jesus tells us another story in Luke 18 about a persistent widow and an indifferent judge. And you remember the story. The widow goes to this judge and says, give me justice. And for a while he refused. For a while he remained indifferent. But eventually he got so annoyed with her, he said, I'm going to give her justice. And then Jesus says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Let me just say in passing that we need to be really careful about how we understand the story of the bothered neighbor and the story of the uh, indifferent judge. Um, Jesus is teaching, telling these stories to teach us a single point about prayer. In other words, these aren't allegories. It's not as though every element of these stories correspond to some kind of spiritual truth. Jesus is not telling these stories to teach us 
how God receives our prayers. He's teaching us about how we are to pray. Understand the difference there. So the thing I want to make sure we understand is God, Jesus is not saying that God is like that bothered neighbor laying in bed saying, get out of here, stop bothering me. He's not like the indifferent judge who doesn't want to hear the cries of his people, but rather the singular point that Jesus is teaching us. This is how you're to pray. Pray shamelessly and pray with persistence, unabashedly, relentlessly. And so we should, we should persist in prayer. But again, what's the... What's the divine motivation? What's the character of God that drives our persistence in prayer here? Why should I keep praying? Why, when it seems as though I've been praying for this one thing for for years, and and it feels as though my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling, why should I persist in prayer? And the answer in this passage is that your Father in heaven is a prayer hearing, prayer answering God. Uh, just look at verse, uh, verse 9 again. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock, it will be opened to you. Theologians with their fancy terminology call this a divine passive. In other words, who is it, who is it that's opening doors? Who is it that's giving what is asked? It's God. It's, it's the Lord who is providing what is being sought and and, and, and it's the Lord who is opening doors. It's the Lord who is giving what is being sought after. So Jesus is not saying, though this is another qualification we need to make, Jesus is not saying that God is going to give us anything and everything that we ask for. These, you probably know this, these verses often get ripped out of context to say, look, all you need to do is Ask God for whatever you want and he'll give it to you. And if he doesn't give it to you, it's because you don't have enough faith. You know, the problem is with you. you know, name it and claim it and live your best life now. That is the lie of health and wellness teaching and it's garbage and it needs to be done away with once and for all. That is not what Jesus is saying in this passage. This, this teaching is understood in context. And what, what is it that Jesus just told his disciples to pray for? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins. Uh, Lead us not into temptation. The the, the honor of God, the rule of God, provision and pardon and protection. And you see the, the assurance is that when God's people pray these things, God is going to work through their prayers and bring these things about. And I think the larger idea, the guiding principle here is that when God's people pray God's will back to him. We have the assurance that God answers prayer. Of course, we're not limited to the Lord's Prayer. You can open up your Bible to just about every page and see ways that God is guiding you to pray. Okay, so this is really simple, but I think it's important for us to understand. Disciples are persistent in prayer because we know our God hears and answers prayer. I think sometimes some of us are tempted to think, you know, my, my prayers don't really matter to God. My life's too insignificant. I, why, why would God bother with me when he has more important things to do? Why would he care about these things? You ever been tempted to think that? That the needs of your life are insignificant to God? Well, Jesus' words, you see, they're meant to assure our doubting hearts. Ask, seek, Knock, for 
Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Persist in prayer, God answers prayer. But some of us need to, I think, be reminded as well that God, God cares about your prayers. I remember the effect that it had upon me when I was in seminary, and some of the professors had a closed-door policy. In other words, if you wanted to see that professor, you needed to make an appointment on a certain day between certain hours. Other than that, do not bother me. I've got research to do. You're not important. Other professors, on the other hand, had, had had an open door policy. Come, if you have a need, if you have a question, if you need counsel, my door is always open to you. Come in any time. I want to hear from you. What, what, the, what do those two different policies communicate? Well, the closed-door policy says, I have more important things to do than talk to my students. You're not important. But the open-door policy says, no, you are, you are important. I want to speak with you, even if you're pesky. I care about you and love you and welcome your questions. So here's my question for you, dear friends. How do you view God? Do you view God as that professor with a closed-door policy who really doesn't care about your needs, who doesn't really welcome you into his presence, who doesn't want to know what's going on in your life? Or do you, do you view your Heavenly Father as one whose door is always opened to you, knowing that he wants to hear the cries of his children, knowing that he welcomes you at, at all times? You see, Keep asking, keep seeking, keep on knocking because God hears and answers prayer and because God cares about your prayers. So pray without shame because God is your father. Pray with persistence because God hears and answers prayer. And then third, pray with trust because God is good. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. What father among you If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I'll stop there. We'll come to verse 13 in a minute. Just think about these illustrations with me for a second. They are, they're striking. Maybe I'm going to get myself in a little bit of hot water here trying to illustrate this, but just just run with me for a second. Okay, let's let's say it's, it's your child's birthday, and, uh, and uh, they have asked for a, a pet goldfish, okay? And you think to yourself as a parent, you know, little Johnny's really been getting on my nerves. and I'd really like to get rid of him. So I have an idea. Instead of, instead of getting him a goldfish, I'm going I'm to go out into the woods and I'm going to catch a rattlesnake, okay? I'm going to put him in a bag and I'm going to come back to little Johnny and say, Little Johnny, I know you wanted a goldfish, but I got you something better. All you need to do is stick your hand in the bag and get your surprise. Or, you know, we'll think about the other illustration here for a second. Let's say it's Easter time, and I know, here I go in hotter water. Some of us don't do anything on Easter. Just go with me here. Let's say you have a, a basket of Easter eggs. You know, those plastic ones that you open up and you put candy inside and give to the kids. Well, let's say instead of filling them up with candy, you go down Ohio Street, down to Gittler's, and instead of buying candy, you buy up all of their scorpions. 
I don't know if they even have scorpions, okay? So you take the scorpions, you put them in the, the eggs, and you say, now, now little Johnny's going to have a real surprise here when he opens these up. See, it's totally ludicrous. What kind of father would do such a thing? And that's exactly the point that Jesus is making. He's, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's, he's saying, if you who are evil... You who are evil, and you know you're evil, friends. You know what comes out of your own heart. Evil, jealousy, selfishness, covetousness, all of these things. And Jesus says, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You see what Jesus is saying. Friends, do not project your experience of your sinful earthly father onto your earthly father, or your heavenly father. Uh, Jesus is saying, your heavenly father is not like sinful evil men. He's perfect. So imagine how good the gifts are that he will freely give to his children. Well, what about unanswered prayer then? I've been asking and asking, seeking, seeking, knocking and knocking, and my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Why is God not answering my prayer? Some of you are wrestling with that. Well, friends, could it be, could it be that God in his infinite wisdom, God who knows all things exhaustively, knows what you need better than you do, Now, that's really hard, I think, for some of us because we're in the thick of it. But could it be that God in his infinite wisdom and infinite goodness with, with his eternal purpose for you in Jesus Christ knows what's better for you than you know what's good for yourself? If you're trusting, if you're, if you're struggling to trust in God, if you're struggling to trust that he is good, let me, let me just quickly encourage you, even even challenge you here to remember two things. First of all, remember the goodness of God revealed at the cross. And then secondly, remember the goodness of God revealed in his giving to you the Holy Spirit. First of all, remember, remember the cross because there you see the unquestionable goodness of God on display. You were an enemy of God, hated God, at enmity with him. And what did God do for you at the cross? God gave his one and only son. He did not spare him, but but delivered him up. He gave his son over to the wickedness of men to save you from your own wickedness. Think about the the logic of the apostle Paul in in Romans 8. If, If he who did not spare his one and only son If he delivered Jesus up to the cross, my friends, how will he not also give to us, along with him, everything we need? All things. See, the logic of the Apostle Paul there in in Romans chapter 8, if he did not spare Christ, will he not also provide everything you need? God is good. So God's goodness is revealed at the cross, but also in this passage God's goodness is revealed in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I wonder what you think about that verse. I wonder if some people think that's a letdown. The Holy Spirit, it just seems, what's, what's, what's that all about? Here's what I want you to understand, dear friends. The fa- because the Father is good, and because he loves his people so, so much, he gives gifts that are of more than temporary value. Think about it. He, the Father gives his Son And the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Do you understand what that means? God has given himself in the person of Jesus Christ to the cross. And God now gives himself in the Holy Spirit to to dwell within his people. To work in the lives of his people. And so if you're going through through a difficult time, realize this, this... Teaching, it it means you are never alone. God is always with you. And then think for a moment about what the Holy Spirit does. Think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the lives of God's people. And you'll realize what an incredible gift this really is. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth and enables us to understand the truth of God and the, the written word. The Holy Spirit causes us to be born again to a, to a living hope and a living Savior. The Holy Spirit works faith into our hearts and enables us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and gives us the gift of repentance. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ so that by faith we, we become partakers of all of the blessings of God that are stored up in Jesus. The Holy Spirit works in us as we work out our salvation so that there is real victory over sin. Real transformation in the Christian life. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts so that we can serve the body of Christ and bring glory to God. And my friends, one day when we are dead and lying in the grave and when Jesus Christ comes again... We will be raised up in resurrection life by Holy Spirit power. What an incredible gift that God has given us. See, your your heavenly father gives the greatest gifts. He's given his son for you. He gives the Holy Spirit to you so you can trust him, you see. You can trust that that he is good. You can pray knowing that he hears your cries and will answer them according to his good and perfect will for you. Let me just make two closing applications here. Coming back to some of the things we've already said, but I think we should revisit them. Here's here's one closing application. I want to encourage us to remember that we should think about prayer as family conversation, not a genie's lamp. Okay, you know what a genie's lamp is. You You rub it and the genie comes out and you make three wishes. All comes true. I think, frankly, some of us want prayer to work that way. We want, we want three wishes. We want to get our way. And we don't, when we don't get what we want, we become angry and bitter and upset with God. And some of you may be experiencing that because God hasn't done the things that you want. But here's a, a reminder, my friends. God isn't a genie. He is your heavenly father. And, and we are his children. And so we must trust him. 
We're to wait upon him. We're to rely upon him. We're to cast all of our fears and our anxieties and our troubles upon him. And if we don't, if we don't practice what it actually means to be a child of God who trusts in the goodness of our Heavenly Father, then frankly, we're going to be an anxious mess. So that's the first thing. Remember that prayer is family conversation, not a genie's lamp. And then here's the second thing I want us to remember when it comes to prayer. Remember that your heavenly father is a person, not a computer hard drive. You know, I think sometimes people think this maybe about prayer. Why do I need to just keep asking? Why do I need to persist in prayer? Why do I need to go to God again and again and again with the same needs over and over and over again? We think maybe, you know, I've prayed it once, it should be enough. That's thinking about God as a computer hard drive. You know, with your computer, you save a file. You only need to save it once. You don't go back saving it over and over and over again. But God is not a computer. He relates to us in a relationship. And that's what Jesus is making clear here. So... I think God wants us to continually go to him in prayer. He wants us to come to him every day with our needs, to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because he wants us to rely upon him. He wants us to trust him. He wants to take his word and so work it into our minds and our hearts and our lives that it begins to shape and transform us. And one of the ways that God does that in our lives is when we seek his face in prayer. We take the promises and the word and the commands of God and we pray them back to God and we we plead down the blessings of heaven. God knows that the thing we need more than anything else is to be like him. And so one of the gifts he's given us to that end is prayer. And he wants us to seek his face. He wants us to persist in prayer. So let's not think about God as a hard drive. He's your father who relates to you on personal terms. So ask, seek, knock, keep seeking his face, keep asking. Why? Because my friends, at the end of the day, simply this, because it's good for you. Because it's good for us to rely upon our heavenly father. And what if I... What if I told you that on uh, our wedding day, I said this to Kelsey, Kelsey, I want, you to, I want you to remember this. I want you to save this, tuck it away, because I'm never going to say it again. I love you. That's it. Store it away. You know, you'd say that's, absol- that's, that's rude, that's unloving, that's unkind. It's absolutely ridiculous because Kelsey's not a computer. Kelsey's a person. And it's good for us to relate to one another. It's good for us to spend time with one another and communicate. It's good for us to delight in one another and and share our love for one another. You see, I suspect that one of the reasons we sometimes struggle in prayer is we've reduced God to some kind of computer in heaven when in fact he is our heavenly father. He wants us to relate to him. So here's what we need to know today. If if you are in Christ, beloved, you can pray without shame because God is your father. You You can keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking because God hears and answers prayer. That's our confidence as Christians. And we can trust in our prayer because God, my friends, has revealed to us that he is unfathomably good.
Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people of prayer. We thank you that you are our Father whose door is always open to us. We thank you that you are a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. We thank you that you are good. We ask as a, as a family, as a congregation, that you would teach us to be a people of prayer, a people who ask, seek, and knock, a people who daily seek your face. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would bless the prayers of your people by hearing us and responding as our good and faithful Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.